can wash away my sin? That is a good question, isn't it? And if you grew up in the religious context that I did, you may be singing a song in your head right now. Now, don't know. We're getting there. If if they heard you, we just need to leave now because you just went to the punchline. But it's a question that everybody wrestles with at some point in their life, in some context of their life. They're going to wrestle with that question. Now, maybe you never wrestled with it in these terms exactly, but you have wrestled with it. What we're teaching this series is a Andy Stanley series, uh, and it's we're, we're going to try to um, teach it to you as accurately as possible. It's a series that I know um, it really impacted Harley and Cole, and I know it's going to impact us as well. And what we're doing with this series is we're asking the question, what if our adult faith had a beginning point? Most of us had a beginning point of our faith as a child. A parent or a pastor uh, probably walked up to us and was like, well, here's what you're supposed to believe. Here's who God is. Here's what God is. And somebody kind of handed you a beginning point for your faith. For many of us, part of that childhood faith included, you need to say a prayer to God and ask for your forgiveness of sins. But maybe as a child, you weren't real sure what sin was. Maybe it was blended into a family prayer. Maybe it was blended into the Lord's prayer, but it was something of that nature. But as a kid, it worked great, right? What'd you do? Well, I went in my sister's room. Uh, she had a toy I wanted. I know I'm not supposed to go in there. And your, your parent says, well, you got to ask God to forgive you. Or I lied to mom. I told her I brushed my teeth. All I did was wet the toothbrush and put it back in the drawer. I'm sure none of y'all done that. And mom says, okay, ask God for forgiveness. And it worked, right? It worked for us. But when we become adults, those sins are much bigger than putting water on the toothbrush. There's whole seasons that we would like to go back and relive just to have a do-over. Not because it's a religious thing necessarily, because it was shameful and it was embarrassing. Somebody might come up to me and be, hey, Bryce, tell me about your college experience. And I would say, well, in the beginning, I did pull into the parking lot a few times, but that's as far as we need to go. I'm sure some of y'all have stories. It's the same way, right? You don't want people to know or to ask about your previous marriage or marriages or relationships. And there was this one weekend. We're not going to talk about that. Your finances. Yeah, they're a mess. We're not going there. That relationship at work. Well, that's none of your business. We're not going to talk about that. And it can go on and on and on. And those sins, they get bigger and it's followed by guilt and it's followed by shame. And it's crazy how this works because let's be honest, it's really not a religious thing. It just, it just is. What can wash away my sin? What can wash away my guilt? What can wash away my shame, my mistakes? And we do all kinds of things to find that answer. Maybe you just try not to think about it. You just put it back in those dark recesses of your mind you don't want to talk about. You lock it away and just hope it never peeks its head out. But then, then you hear a name and it all comes flooding back to the front of your mind. Or kids, they may say, hey, we want to go here for vacation. And you say, no, no, can't go there. Lots of ghosts there. Lots of bad memories there. Shame and guilt. It follows us around. You hear a certain song and it brings back memories of a time in your life that you're very ashamed of. A time in your life when that song was on the radio all the time and you hear it and all those memories come back. Some people, they try to drink it away. Some people medicate it away. Some people, they just try to work harder and give more money. And some people, they just have more children. But it just does not go away. The guilt and the shame that is associated with our sin, no matter what we do, it will not go away. And still, maybe we're still like, what in the world can wash these sins away? I don't want to think about it anymore. What can I do to get rid of this? Or at the very least, when I do think about it, what can I do to at least be okay with it? But isn't it interesting? There's some things that we can forget. And then there's some things that we can never forget. There are things that we've, that we've done that in the moment we're ashamed of it, but later on we find it comical. 
you know, in the moment when you're a teenager, you do something and you're ashamed. But later on, you're sitting around with your buddies and you're like, yeah, remember when we did that in school? And it's a big laugh. But there's some things you've done that they're never going to be funny. You're never going to laugh at it. They're always, always going to be embarrassing and shameful. And you carry it around like a cloud. What if anything can wash away my sins, my guilt, my shame, my mistakes, whatever you want to call it, what can wash that away? And then we do these things where we try to bury it in a sea of humanity. And I think you know what I'm talking about. It's a sea of nobody's perfect. Since nobody's perfect, I'm not perfect. So it's okay. What I did is okay because I'm not perfect. You can expect me to be perfect. So it's all right. I'm fine. And you tell yourself that. And you say things like, I was young. I just didn't know any better. I was drunk. I wasn't myself. I was angry. I just lost control. Or I was lonely. I needed to fill that void. I was broke. I was desperate. I was in financial desperation. Or I just didn't know better. And these very may well be true statements. But acknowledging that and embracing that it still doesn't wash it away. It just will not go away. It hangs there like a cloud. Now, it doesn't, doesn't come up every day. It just follows you around, and at odd or really inopportune moments, it rears its head in your life. And at the core of that struggle is this issue right here. The issue is forgiveness. And here's why. You're looking for an answer to this question. Is there a way to forgive myself that once I forgive myself, it's done? It's over. I can finally move on with my life. And if it ever comes back, when I see that person, or I think about that weekend, or I see that billboard, or I hear that song, I can go, no, 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 no. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven of that. I can let go. But there's another part of us, another part. There's a sense that you owe yourself a debt. I owe it to myself and my children to be a better father. I owe it to my husband to be a better wife. I owe it to myself. I have to pay this debt back. If I could just forgive myself and pay this debt back, then maybe that shadow, that shadow of my guilt would go away. Maybe that, that's what would wash away my sin and my guilt and my shame. Then there's, then there's this confusion we talked about in week two, mistaker versus sinner. Am I a mistaker or am I a sinner? Because let's be honest, sinner, it's just, it's a real religious word. And for years and years, we've said, well, I made some mistakes when I was younger. I made some mistakes in my previous relationships. I made some mistakes in my previous career. But the thing is, we know what we can do with mistakes, right? We can erase it. We can do away with it and everything's fine. But these, these are much bigger than a mistake. You can't get the eraser out. You can't correct these because you know in your heart, these aren't mistakes. These are much bigger than that. A mistake is always the result of a lack of information or having the wrong information. And again, you know, this is much bigger than that. And here's the problem. When you acknowledge that that cloud is the sin in your past life, well, that's a bigger deal because now you own it. And when you own it, you feel worse. And around and around you go, what can wash away my sins? Can anything wash away my sins? And we're not going to give you a simple answer. We're adults. We're all older. This is a grown-up question. This isn't about, did I go in my sister's room to get a toy? This is about, did I go into a room I never had any business being in any, anyway? This is adult stuff. Yeah, and so religious or not, or Christian or not, we have all wondered the very same thing. Is there any way to wash away my sin? Is there any way to get rid of it? Um, but no matter how much of not doing something that we do, because I, I, I can't get rid of it. I've tried. You've tried. And we've also tried to kind of work it off by uh, doing enough good stuff in the future that it doesn't count against us. But no matter how much of this not doing uh, the thing that we were doing, no matter how much of that we do, it doesn't make up for the past and the fact that, well, I did it. So the question remains, what can wash away my sin? Now, here's something uh, staggering. And you have heard a version of this before, so this is not new for you. But as you're considering maybe a new beginning or a new start to 
Christianity or an adult beginning place, um, I just want you to consider this big uh, kind of enormous uh, thing. And it's this. I want you to consider this overwhelming thought that says every religious system, every single one, every faith system, every religious book, faith book, any kind of religious literature, it all offers us a solution to the very dilemma that we're talking about today. In fact, some of you have tried. You've looked at uh, religion and tried to do some of the things that you saw to get rid of what we're talking about today. And some of us have even tried Christianity. Um, We've tried that religion. Um, And we've tried to make things go away. But what we have found is religion does not seem to wash away our sins. But every religious system offers a solution but it doesn't seem to wash away our sin. But there's only ever been in the history of the world one person who offered himself as the solution to the problem. Yeah, and think about it. Just like Harley said, every religious system offers a solution. Well, here's what you need to do. Here's how you deal with that shame and those memories and that guilt. But only one person has ever stepped forward in the history of mankind and said, I don't simply have the solution. I am the solution. And when we consider that, consider that for a minute, for a minute, whoever would say this, they're either a lunatic or they're lying or maybe just maybe we need to listen to them because we're students and adults in here. And we have done everything that we know to do to wash away our sin and our guilt and our shame. And if we're honest, it just is not working too well. So John, he's the one who gives us a historical biography of Jesus, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He's the same one we talked about last week as Jesus is on the cross dying. He looks down and he tells John, John, you take care of, you take care of my mother. That's the John we're talking about. He tells us early on in his gospel, there's another man named John, and this is John the baptizer. And Harley mentioned him, I believe it was about five weeks ago. Yeah, I think so. And everything went dark. Whoa. So that's an emphasis. That is an emphasis. (laughs) Hit the air. Oh, Oh, back to it. And now we're back. (laughs) We should have done a commercial. (laughs) Okay, he was called John the Baptizer because he was doing something that nobody in the history of mankind had ever done. At that time, if you were in a religion and you wanted to change over to to the Jewish religion, there were some things you had to do. And one of those was a ceremonial cleansing called baptism. It was a dipping underwater or a dunking underwater. It was just simply a ceremonial cleansing. And John the Baptizer, he was at the Jordan River, but he was doing something a little different. He wasn't telling people, people to go cleanse themselves, which was tradition, which is what they did. He was physically taking a hold of them, and he was doing the dunking under the water. He was the one putting them, putting them under the water, doing the ceremonial cleansing. And as a result of this, since nobody had ever done this before, there was many, many people coming from nearby to see what was going on with this man at the Jordan River. So... We've got uh, Mark, who is one of these guys, um, and here's what Mark tells us in his biography of Jesus. He says this, the whole Judean countryside. Now, uh, this may be an exaggeration. He says, all the people of Jerusalem went to see him. And it could be literal. It's possible. But more than likely, this is kind of like a scenario where your kids come home and they say, Mom, everybody's going to be there. Everybody was there. And so that's probably more like the scenario. It's probably like there were so many people gathered around to see uh, John and to see what he was doing that it felt like that everybody was there. So here's the picture, though. So at the very least, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who are there. It's possible, maybe thousands. And this is not an easy trip either. I mean, we're talking about, uh, it's about 40 mile, a 40 mile walk from, uh, let's see, from uh, Jerusalem all the way to the Jordan River where John was hanging out. So it's like, almost running two marathons and taking that walk. So it's a long ways off. Um, And so here we have thousands of people who are fluttered around to see John and to hear him speak and to hear what's going on. And But here's something that I find very interesting. The four Gospels, these four biographies that uh, Bryce just mentioned, they all tell us about John the baptizer. 
they all tell us. They're not the only ones who tell us about John the Baptizer. There is a guy named uh, Josephus who was a first century historian. So around 70 AD, Josephus writes and tells us about John the Baptizer. That's not all. There's another guy. There's a guy by the name of Muhammad, the one who wrote the Quran. He also tells us about John the Baptizer. And as they all describe John the Baptizer, they use very similar language, very similar terms to talk about him. And I say all that just to say, this was a real guy. I like to think that he had dreadlocks, but there's no <laughs> proof of that. We don't have a picture of John the Baptizer, but he was a real guy. And they all use very uh, similar terms to describe him. So apparently... John was so compelling in what he was saying and how he was teaching that the Pharisees and the leaders from Jerusalem, they were beginning to think, okay, now this, maybe the Messiah has come. I mean, maybe he's here. Maybe he has come. Maybe this guy is the Messiah. And so as they're thinking about that, wow, nobody has drawn such a crowd as this guy had. They had never seen that in their lifetime. And so everybody seems to be going to hear this guy and to see this guy. And when the Pharisees finally get close enough, because he had such a following, when they finally get close enough, the Pharisees ask him this question. They're like, listen, who are you? I mean, are you the Messiah? I mean, are you the one that we have actually been waiting for all this time? Who are you? And here's what John says. This is how he answers it. And, and he says in John 1, verse 26, I baptize, I baptize, John, John the baptizer is saying, I baptize with water, John replied. But among you, one stands that you don't know. And he might mean that literally. So it's possible that Jesus may have been out there in the crowd and he's like, he's here. You just don't know who he is yet. We're not sure how, how, what he meant by that. But he then says, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. In other words, John is saying, you think I'm good? You think I can draw a crowd? You think I have answers to your questions? He's like, you ain't saying nothing yet. I mean, you have no idea. He's coming. Oh, soon. Yes, for sure. He's coming. Then the gospel writer, John, who he was an eyewitness to this again, he tells us the next day, John the Baptist is there and he's preaching, repent, repent. Repent. A very, very seeker-sensitive message. <laughs> if John the Baptizer was written a book, I don't think it would have been a bestseller. No, not today. No, not today. Um, but, but you know how it is. Let's be honest. Guilt for some of us, it's a religious experience. I mean... You kind of like to be beat up. I do. Up. I mean, I like this. this <laughs> you, you like to be beat up a little bit. If this is a sin, I'm guilty. I just have to be honest. The more guilty you feel in church, the closer you feel to God. No, let's be honest. You're not going to change anything when you leave, but you just feel so good because you feel bad. You're like, that preacher stepped on my toes. God I had to be a part of that, right? And yeah, you're right. I do. I do enjoy that. And John the Baptist was really, really good at bringing people to that point. He was good at making you, let's be honest, feel a little worthless. Repent, repent, repent. And then John, John the Baptist, he stops. And he looks up and he says, as recorded in John chapter 1, verse 29, he says, look, He's like, everybody, just be quiet. I need y'all to look. No, don't look at me. Look over there. And he says, the Lamb of God. And in the Greek language, there is no of. So this literally means the Lamb that God has sent. So John the Baptist is saying, look, God has sent a Lamb. God has done something. God is up to something. And for us, we're like, okay, cool. I've read that. Been there. Got the t-shirt. You know, I get it. But let's put this in context. For 1,500 years before this, this culture has been sacrificing lambs. You drain the blood of the lamb, and you offer it as a sacrifice for your sins. For 1,500 years, they've had a tradition that when someone sins, something's got to die. When someone sins against God, someone has to pay for it. And they're thinking, well, we recognize that we deserve to die. We're so thankful that you have allowed us to offer an animal as a sacrifice in place of our lives. But listen, we're not asking you to think that way. That, that's how they thought. But they knew. They knew deep down inside that the blood of an animal, it's not going to cover their sin. It's just not going to work. This was a nice system, 
just wanted to get it done. Yeah, so then in the very next verse, John says, look, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away. Now, literally, what that means is who lifts up and carries off. So think with me what he's saying. The Lamb of God who lifts up and carries off. Who lifts up and carries off. Now, I know... I know there's a lot of light we can all see in here, and I, I, but if you're brave enough, I would just ask that you would say that phrase with me in just a moment, who lifts up and carries off. I'm going to say it with you. I'll say it louder than you are, so you won't hear maybe hear yourself as much. But if you're willing, I would just love for you to say that phrase with me. Are you ready? Who lifts up and carries off. That's an amazing phrase. Look what he is saying. This is what John the baptizer is saying, he's saying, look, people, God sent a lamb. And let me tell you what this lamb is getting ready to do. This lamb is going to lift up and carry away the sin of the whole world. The Jewish sin, he's going to carry away all the Roman sin. He's going to get the American sin. He's going to get your sin. He's going to get my sin. And when John says this, I, I really don't think the people understood and comprehended what he was talking about. So John says, look, God sent a lamb, and this lamb is going to carry off, carry away the sin of the whole world. And everybody's probably like, hmm, interesting. Anyway, hey, John, uh, after you baptize me, could you baptize my sister? <laughs> you know, they, they just don't get it. And, and so John says this, and then at that time, of course, that kind of launches the ministry of Jesus, and he heads off. Yeah, and then throughout the ministry of Jesus, he would leave these little breadcrumbs along his statement of follow me. And maybe there was really something to what John said. Maybe it wasn't just about good teachings and big crowds. He would leave these hints to folks and they would be like, what's Jesus talking about? I'm not, I'm not getting this. He would teach him parables and people would be, what is Jesus talking about? Just not jiving with me. I don't understand what he's saying. And he would say, say stuff like the son of man, this and the son of man, that the son of man is going to get arrested. And people are like, Jesus, <laughs> you're not getting arrested. Jesus, you're a rock star. They can't even get to you. You think, you think John had a big crowd? Look who Jesus is drawing, the crowds he has. But Jesus said, nope, it's not about all that. Yeah. So one night towards the end, Jesus gathers up his 12 closest followers. We call them the 12 disciples. He gathers them together for the final Passover meal. Now, they have no idea that this is going to be the final Passover meal, but Jesus does. He gathers them together. Now, for some context, for us non-Jewish people, um, it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around this whole thing, but I want you to remember what we talked about last week, and, and just as an aside, if you have missed any of the previous, this is week five, we have four weeks before this that I it really, you should go back and listen to these. They, they kind of come together all through this, all eight weeks. So anyway, a few weeks ago, or last week, we talked about um, this annual, last week, annual celebration that they call the Passover. And so this was that time when uh, they were back in Egypt, they were slaves, and God was getting ready to free them. But he said, before I do, one more night, and I want you to take the blood of this lamb, put it on your doorpost, then the angel of death is going to come through, and it's going to go into every home and kill the firstborn, but it will pass over the home of anyone who has the blood of the lamb on their door, and it would pass over. And so pretty much since then, the Jewish people, the Israelites, have celebrated every single year they celebrated Passover together. Anyone who had placed that blood of the lamb at that time in Egypt over the door. And so this, um, I, I mean, they went ahead and did it. The, many of them, some didn't, but many did. They were like, okay, well, it doesn't make much sense for the blood of a lamb on the door, but you know, we'll, okay, we're going to trust you, God, and we'll do it. So that's what they did. And then when the Hebrews woke up the next day after the angel had come and done his thing, then they were free. And so every year since that night, they have celebrated the Passover. Now, Jesus is now 
in a room, and he's going to celebrate this Passover meal, very important, with these. And he says the most offensive thing. We don't get it because as we read it, it is not offensive to us. Not at all. I mean, it's not at all. But when these 12 people heard this, heard Jesus say this, I mean, they probably should have stoned him or tried. They, At the very least, they should have gotten up from the table and they should have walked away when he said this. It's so offensive. Yeah. And Jesus, Jesus basically said, he said, all right, guys, I know. Since you were little boys, you have been celebrating Passover. I know that in Passover, we're celebrating something that happened a long time ago. And I know we're celebrating that night that the Hebrews put the blood on the doorposts of their house and God delivered them. But fellas, from now on, when you celebrate Passover, I don't want you to think about that anymore. That's not what we're going to do anymore. From now on, on Passover, guess what? I want you to think about me. And that was very, very offensive to them. And to put that in context, that would have been like me coming up here the Sunday before Christmas and being like, okay, guys, I know Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' birth. I know that's what we do. I've got news for you. From now on, celebrating my birth. It's going to be Brysmas from now on. <laughs> Christmas, you know, the 25th, it's about me. But that's how offensive it would have been to them. And if I did that, y'all would be like, Am I coming back next week? Maybe just to see if he's here or not. Or would you just say, that man has lost his mind. And that's how offensive it would have been for those men to hear Jesus say, he's changing the meaning of Passover. Huge. I mean, they were stunned. They'd be like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. So we're not going to celebrate God delivering our people out of Egypt. We're going to celebrate you. And Jesus would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, now the bread that's being broken, that's going to represent my broken body. And this wine is now going to represent my blood that very soon in just a few hours will be poured out for you. Remember, you know, guys, the Lamb of God who lifts up and carries off the sins of the world. And they didn't get it. They didn't get it at all. It would kind of be like, I can just imagine them walking later as they left that room, walking and, and kind of hanging back behind Jesus saying, oh my goodness, man, he taught the strangest <laughs> things tonight, but you know, he can heal. So I'm with him. You know, I saw it. He raised Lazarus from the dead. So I don't care how crazy what he says is, I'm sticking with him. And that night, Jesus would be arrested and all of those courageous men, those 12 men, they would all run away and they would all really, basically, they would lose their faith. And Jesus was then taken, he was beaten, and Jesus was then crucified. Yeah, and the, the gospel writers, they tell us a very interesting detail that seems irrelevant, except for the fact that John the baptizer, three years earlier, he said, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's an irrelevant detail, except the fact that Jesus had sat with his disciples and the guys that night. He told them this whole Passover thing. Now it's in remembrance of me. He said this wine, it no longer represents the blood spread over the doorpost 1,500 years ago. From now on, this wine, it represents my blood, which was poured out. It was poured out for a brand new covenant, a brand new arrangement between God and mankind. And aside from those reasons, the gospel writers, they tell us another fact that may seem irrelevant. When Jesus was crucified, he didn't suffocate like was, like was expected. Now, you can do some research. and I, Crucifixion is it's morbid, but it's very interesting on how it works. So I would encourage you to do that. But the, the people who are crucified, they died because they suffocated. Now, when you're being crucified, you have to push up with your legs to extend your body to be able to actually take in oxygen into your lungs. And finally, when the Romans would get tired of watching people struggle, and I guess they get bored with it, they would actually walk through and break the legs of the people hanging on the cross so that they no longer could breathe. And eventually they would die from suffocation. You suffocated on a cross. And I would encourage you to go look that up. So when they come to Jesus, Jesus on the cross, and they come to break his legs, they find out that he's already dead. So don't break his legs. Because Jesus didn't suffocate. Jesus bled to death. 
because of that that beating that he experienced. He bled to death on the cross because of that torture that Jesus endured. He bled to death. Then they put a crown of thorns on his head, more blood. And then the crazy thing about this too, when they would push up to get air, their backs would rub against that cross and his beating was so severe that every time he would push up to get a breath, that rough wooden cross would keep all of those wounds open. Jesus bled to death on the cross. And I find that a very interesting detail since Jesus was the lamb, that lamb of God who was going to lift up and carry off the sins of the world by shedding his blood. What can wash away your sin? You can't. You've tried. Alcohol can't. Pot, it can't. I mean, it can make us not care for a little while. And there are some other things out there that could distract us and, and maybe even some things that could make us feel okay for a while. Possibly. But come on. What can pick up and carry off your sin? What can pick up and carry away your guilt? What can take away your shame? 20 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection, 20 years after, this guy named Paul, who hated Christians, but then when he saw the risen Jesus, he became one of the leading Christ followers at that time. So Paul, he writes a letter um, to a group of new Christ followers, and they're in this new church. So this is 20 years later, and Paul writes to them. And, and I want you to listen to, to how Paul interprets and describes the very same thing that John the baptizer was talking about, and the very same thing that Jesus had told his closest followers that night around the Passover and what they his followers had experienced. Listen to how Paul describes it to these new believers. He says this in this letter, Colossians. He, that's Jesus, gave us, uh, forgave us all our sins. All right? He forgave us all our sins. And they might be like, okay, Paul, if they could respond back. It was a letter. They couldn't. But if they could, they'd be like, Paul, Paul, what are you talking about? And it'd be like, okay, tight, because I'm going to explain this in detail. And here, and here he goes. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. So Paul is saying, look, listen, your sin has created a debt. And that's the reason why you wonder, what am I going to do with all this in my past? What am I going to do with that? How, how do I move beyond that and, and get away from that? How, how, do I, how do I get past this? The reason why we think that is because this is a real debt that Paul is describing, that we have a real debt. The, the, the truth is in this, that we do owe a debt. We don't only owe ourselves a debt, but we owe God. That's the nature of shame and guilt. That's the nature of it. That's why some things that we do don't really bother us, but then, then there's some other things that we have done that to this day still come back and haunt us, right? It haunts us. But here we have Paul. And Paul is saying, listen, I've got some good news for you. The good news is that you, through Christ Jesus, you have been forgiven. Specifically, he says, your debt has been, which, which he describes as your debt has been canceled, and that debt which stood against us, and that debt condemned us. Wow. 
stood against us and it condemned us. And then look what he says. He has taken it away. Does that sound familiar? He lifts it up and he carries it off. And you might say, okay, so he picks it up and he carries it off. Okay, Paul, how does he do that? And Paul says, by nailing it to the cross. Okay, Paul, let me get this straight. What you're saying is, Paul, what you're saying is that I don't have to deal with this? Just give it to me straight. Paul, I want to understand what you're trying to explain. Just give it to me straight. Paul, what do you, what are you saying? Just tell me, what are you saying that can wash away my sin? And Paul is saying, nothing that you do, Harley, nothing you do, Bryce, nothing you can do, nothing you can do can wash away your sin. But only the blood of your Savior, Jesus. Because when he died and his blood was drained from his body for you, that death, his death, canceled your indebtedness, and it was no more. It was canceled. Your indebtedness to God canceled. And get this, don't miss it. Your indebtedness to yourself canceled. And Paul is saying, listen, here's the good news. You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. You don't have to. Everything you've been carrying around for all those years that you have felt guilty and you have tried to earn and work your way through and say, maybe I can make up for it. You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. Look, listen, if you want to spend the rest of your life looking for uh, a way to kind of figure out a way to clear your conscience and to, to wash away your sin and to make up for everything you've done in the past. You can, you can, you can try, you, but you're not going to ever wash away the sin. And, and you can try to get rid of the guilt. And you can try to erase the shame and you can try to move on from the past and, and you can, you can try it to, to make things work. But think about it. If you want to spend the rest of your life trying to make up for what you've done and trying to figure out a way to wash away that sin and to get what was in your past left in the past and dealt with and done, you can try that. And, and I can't tell you what to do, and I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to convince you. I, I, I just... You can look at other religious systems because they all offer something for you to do. They all do. They all give you advice. There's a lot of things out there that you could look at. But there's only one, only one person in the history of the world who has stepped forward and they said there is no system. There is no secret answer that you're going to discover that, that does not exist. He said, I am the solution to the problem. Because the blood of the bulls and the goats and the lamb, the, that blood, it's not going to do it. It's not going to do it. Your best effort going forward, trying to do better and say, I'm never going to do that again. I'm not going to make that mistake again. I'm, I'm going to do better moving forward. Your best effort moving forward. It's not going to be enough. Your newfound discipline, your self-discipline, and your commitment to say, I'm going to be better, it cannot do anything for your past. But Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about that because I've already done it. Because I'm the lamb. Now listen. 
as arrogant as that sounds for Jesus to say that, as arrogant for our modern ears to take that in, and as unrealistic as that sounds, as unbelievable as that feels, Jesus is telling us, I am the Lamb of God who came to pick up and carry away the sins of the entire world. He's telling us that when he died, your debt, my debt, was canceled. It was canceled. You don't even have to forgive yourself now because yourself has already been forgiven at the cross. Okay, we might say, Harley, but what do I do with all of these memories? What do I do with these memories? And I can say this is actually the easy part. It's easy to say <laughs> what to do with all these memories. Because your whole life, when those memories have come to your mind, whenever you think about what you did, whenever you think about that, that you have tried to bury in your past, you are flooded with failure, feelings of failure, with guilt and condemnation and shame. But your heavenly father, he's inviting you to build new uh, mental memorials to those things in your past. From now on, here's what he's inviting you to do. From now on, when you think about your past, when you think about that person, and when you think about that story, when you think about that town and that year and what you did that night, when you think about that from now on, he says, I want you to have a new memory a memory that is simply a reminder of something different. From now on, those memories are different. No longer, no longer is it a, uh, you remembering your failure. No longer is it your guilt or your shame. But now when you think of that person, that instance, that moment, that night, from now on, it will be a reminder of God's forgiveness and a reminder of God's grace, a reminder of God's love from now on. And I'm going to be honest. We've been thinking about it for so long. It's, it's going to take us a while. I mean, you might have to get isolated for a period of time and just really dig deeply into this thought and reflect on that fact that God has lifted it up and carried it away. You might even have to find a way to just talk to God and say over and over, God, thank you for doing that. Thank you for carrying that away. But his desire is that sin now reminds you that he has picked it up and he has carried it away. So, what can wash away my sin? Nothing that you will ever do. Nothing. Only the blood of Jesus. If, if I were to say to Paul, hey, Paul, what can wash away my sin, Paul? What can do it? Paul, what could wash away your sin? What could that be? And Paul would say, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Peter, listen, I, I know you denied Jesus. You denied him and you even denied your faith. Peter, what can wash away your sin? And Peter would say, nothing but the blood of Jesus. John, what about you? John? John, what can wash away your sin? And John would say, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, let's check in with James. James, listen, you're the brother of Jesus. And as the brother of Jesus, you didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was while he was alive. In fact, it took the resurrection for you to look at Jesus and realize that he was the son of God. And so my question to you, James, 
What can wash away your sin, James? And he would say, nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what he would say. So my question for you, and this is a question that you're going to have to wrestle to the ground. This is the question. Because if you want a young adult beginning or a new adult beginning, my question is this for you. And I listen, I'm, I'm not going to try to talk you into it. We just want to present the information. I, I, because I just want you to know that you don't have to earn your way through your past. You don't have to earn your way out of your past for the rest of your life. Because the truth is you can't. We know this because we've tried and we have carried it with us. What your heavenly father has asked you to do. He's asked you not to do something. Listen to that. Your heavenly father has asked you not to do something because what all the other religions and all the other solutions are doing, they're asking you to do something to take away that guilt, to, to work your way out of it and through it. They're asking you to do something. And a lot of those to-dos, I mean, they're, some of them are great things. But listen, in Christianity, Jesus is not asking us to do something. He's asking us to believe something, to trust something. To trust that when Jesus died on the cross, that he died for your sin. This means he picked up your sin and he carried it off when he died on the cross. And listen, my friend, if he does not condemn you, why are you condemning yourself? You don't have to forgive yourself. Yourself has already been forgiven. So the real question as we wrap up this teaching today is, has there ever been a moment in your life when you have received that forgiveness that I'm talking about? Do you remember um, the story of Abraham? Do you remember Abraham? So Abraham made that one single decision to trust God. And when Abraham made that one single decision to trust God, then God gave Abraham a right standing with God. He gave Abraham the gift of righteousness. Now, the New Testament authors, they tell us that that same way, in a similar way to Abraham, that same way, they teach us this, when we place our trust in Jesus, that his death paid for our sins. When we make that decision to trust that, then here's what he does. God gives us a right standing with him. That single act of faith, that single act of trust, God takes it and gives us a right standing with him. It lets us in on that forgiveness personally that he has offered the entire world. So today, if you've never done that today, if you've decided I'm tired of trying to work my way out of the past because I've tried and I can't, I'm tired of carrying around this load of guilt and shame and I can never get rid of it. It's going to follow me everywhere. I can't wash it away. And if you're convinced that what Jesus did when he died that it wasn't just for the sins of the world. It was for your sins. Then I just simply want to lead you in a prayer today. Now listen to me. It's not a magic prayer. There are not special words that just use these special words and you've said the magic thing and, and you've got a, a special potion that you can use. It's not what it is. 
The prayer is just meant to help us express our trust in God with words. That's all it is. In order for us to apply this forgiveness that you have offered the world, will you apply that personally to me? Because I'm trusting you. What can wash away your sin? Nothing but the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, our Savior. And if you say this prayer with us today, and if those words are expressing what your heart is crying out, then please, please, please let us know on your connection card. Just let us know because we want to help you get a start in following Jesus. Let us know on your connection card. Now, with this prayer, this is going to be unusual for you, given our the way we were raised with prayer and everything. Just, but just hang in here with me for a moment. You're welcome to bow your head during this prayer. You're welcome to. But I also invite you, you to just leave your eyes open and have a conversation with God. Because in just a moment, Chris is going to track with me with this prayer, and we're going to have the words on the screens here. And if what I am saying with those words, if you would just repeat those words in your heart, if this is what your heart is saying, I'm going to say a phrase, and then in your heart, if this is what your heart is saying, you just say that phrase. You don't even have to say it out loud. You can just say it in your heart because God is listening to your heart, I promise. And so this is, for many of us, an eyes open prayer, and the band is going to be joining us on stage while this prayer is going on. That's okay. And I invite you to join us in your heart. Heavenly Father, I believe. I believe that when Jesus died, it paid for my sins. I believe that he is the Savior of the world. I believe that nothing I do will ever pay for my sin. I need you to pay for it. I believe that Jesus' death paid for my sin. So I'm placing all of my trust in Christ's death on the cross. That's the full payment for my sin. And I believe that you just picked it up and you carried it away. Help me to remember in those times when the guilt and the shame come crowding back in to simply stop and thank you for what has been done for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.